Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Today we have, uh, today I have the honor of welcoming back my dear friend and fellow recurring guest, Faina Cherdak, for this very special milestone episode, the 100th episode of the Unpacking Neuroqueerness podcast. Faina is also an actor, and she played my sister Natalie in a film that I wrote and directed, and I'll be linking that below. Uh, you can see Faina's spe spectacular work, and there's even a nice neurodiversity awareness uh, and education moment that um, I put in there during the beginning of the film, uh, an exchange in between our characters. Um, so I hope you all enjoy that. Faina's also been a guest on this podcast a few times. For those that are familiar with the podcast, um, we always have great, great conversations. And today we are going to talk about uh, the personal consequences of masking ADHD traits and how we get perceived as high functioning or some people don't even acknowledge our disabilities. Well, without further ado, welcome back, Faina. Thank you, George. Oh, my goodness. Um the film that we did was really fun. Um, and from a neuro, um, diverse standpoint, it was very exhausting. It's a hard yeah. thing to do. Um, you know, set everything up, bring the energy. Um, but you know, the second we wrap, it's just like, it's kind of like heartbreak. Like I, I want to do it again. Um, no matter how, how difficult it is. Um, so I'm really glad that, that um, we, had our first project together and I'm excited for Me people too. to see it. Yes. Um, I know you worked really hard on it too. So kudos to you for writing and directing. Thank you. And yeah, I'm excited for today's episode. Yeah, me too. Um, so I, I'll, I'll start with, um, the first question or the first thing I wanted to talk about basically, um, and then kind of leaning into a question. Um, so I think the first thing, that I want to touch on today is this this thing about getting called high functioning like this is a term that I became so used to hearing throughout my life um and 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 I didn't really it's just anyways it, functioning I I didn't realize initially but functioning is basically it's a very subjective term um, and it's determined usually by neuronormative societal molds and um, the perception that those have those around me have, but not myself. Um, and and then I start realizing that the reason I'm perceived that way is because I'm masking so hard, and the and and just getting like to the level of exhaustion and burnout that of course people can't see, but then it's just like, I'm doing that so I don't seem too weird and make others uncomfortable. Um, but then they don't understand that, like, they think they're complimenting me because it's a very ableist perspective. Like, they think that, um, they think that if I had higher support needs and if I were more visibly disabled, that they would, you know, they would consider me low-functioning, which is, like, mm -hmm. so damaging because it's, like, okay, they're, they're automatically saying that because you can't function within certain norms that you're low functioning. Um, 
So then they think, oh, you know, you're high functioning. So like, yay, I'm like supposed to feel great about myself. But it's like, it's not only the fact that, okay, like that term is not cool. You know, even if I considered myself that way. Mm-hmm. And and then it's also like, well, I'm not really high. I may appear high functioning yeah. to you. Yeah,、um, and it also comes in moments, right? Like, yeah, at times you can function better, and at times it's、mm-hmm. it, exactly there's complete malfunction. <laughs> it's it's dynamic as well, which I I think is another thing that sometimes neurotypicals have a hard time understanding. Is it's like. It's not like oh because I did that because they'll be like oh but you did that and and you you did that and you know you had the energy for that and we did that I, and I'm like yeah I I in that moment I had the energy, but I that doesn't mean I always have the energy.、Um, and also to like do that and and like present like complete things or or things that seem functional, it's actually like a journey through the brain. Like yeah. You don't know what it took to get there, and it could have been a very like challenging thing to to actually complete a task. Like、mm-hmm. we can seem functional with with、um, the the result, the product, but getting there is is almost always not easy, and、oh, yeah. it has to be done、mm-hmm. in a very unique way for yourself. Yeah, exactly.、Um, it's. Another thing I've mentioned before a few times, and I think we've talked about it too, is that like how we end up we neurodistinct individuals,、um, our ADHD years, autistics, etc., often end up carving our own paths because like the ways the the molds and the ways that other people want us to do things don't usually work for us. So we have we kind of have to strategize on our own. And then you know, figure out like how what's the best way for me to do that task, and sometimes that takes time. Also, like just that strategizing and planning, and then executing, and then it doesn't always work.、Um, so it's like, and it was tough. Like it can come up in many situations. Like、uh, I'll give an example. For me, it would come up、um, in the acting training that I took.、Um, we both. Been through this training, of course, at different times. For those who ha-、um, who aren't familiar、uh, with the previous episodes, but、um, when I was going through that training,、uh, memorizing lines for for scenes, and I recall you you said you had a hard time with this as well. But I would feel really bad because, like, I had a partner, and like, we both had the same scene, and. Sometimes, like they would be way quicker ahead at at memorizing their lines, and then I start feeling like, you know, you know, ashamed, like because I'm, because I didn't do it as fast, and then like, how did I? Why can't I do it that fast? And that just leads to a lot of frustration and and self doubt, and um. So that's, I mean, eventually, like. Over the training, I started figuring out like, okay, for me, I have to do it in pieces because I knew that there were some people that were able to just memorize huge chunks at a time, and、um, I just couldn't do that.、Um, and and then once I started allowing myself to do it my way,、um, it it did get 
a little smoother and easier, easier to strategize. It doesn't mean that it was always easy. Um, but anyways, it's, it just, I think that speaks a little bit to how we always end up coming up with our own strategies. Um, so now I wanted to open it up a little bit to you, Faina. Um, I wanted to ask you, what has your experience been in terms of, you know, getting, maybe getting called high functioning, maybe just not having people believe that you're, you're disabled, um, or, uh, being denied support or validation because of that? Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely wasn't called high functioning ever because, um, growing up mostly by my parents, I mean, my teachers could tell that something I need like more support or, you know, I have more needs, um, academically and just kind of in general. Um, but growing up, no one would acknowledge, um, people that were important to acknowledge these things about me, we did not, um, that I had these learning differences. And, and so the way that they would, you know, kind of, um, they're only way to address my concerns about me being different, me feeling different and me not being able to do what other kids did was, Oh, you're fine. You're just a happy kid. You're just a silly girl. Like you just need to stop clowning around. And it, it was always like behaviors that were told that I could change and I could stop. Um, instead of like, how can we help this person, this child succeed? Um, what is different about this child? and how can we accommodate that um so I really had to function in a neurotypical world my whole life um I've never had the needs the special needs that I never got extended time I never got anything um to help accommodate my learning style that I I didn't know I had a different one I just thought that I wasn't capable I, I just like literally went to school to laugh and cause trouble because it stimulated me or like, you know, <laughs> like coat my hands in Elmer's glue and then peel it off during class. Like it was just something to really stimulate me, like mm-hmm. rip, like bite off every, like all the pens and like just chew everything up, like anything to stimulate myself. So, um, although looking back, it's like very concerning and it's very obvious that I, I had special needs, but, um, no one would acknowledge that I had a problem. Um, and to me, it was a problem because it was a problem for the class, for the grade, for the teachers. And, and it was a problem for me mentally and emotionally. Um, so that's why I call it a problem. But no, no one called me high functioning. And, and the closest I got to that was just my parents telling me like, oh, but you're so you're so lively and you know how to make friends and you just know how to do all these things. But really that was the epitome of masking. And it was just like, yes, I struggle, but I also work so hard to try to fit in, in the ways that I can. And so you think I'm normal and you think I'm high functioning in your own words. Um, so that was really the closest I got to that. I see. Yeah, I can certainly relate. I mean, thank you for sharing that first of all. Um, and I mean, yeah, it just, it's really saddening because I can certainly relate to like, especially before when I got my diagnosis, um, when I was going through particularly middle school and early high school, 
um, they would, uh, you know, I would get denied. Like, I knew already and my parents knew at that point that I had some support needs um, that were different than others. But then my mom even told me when I had her on a couple months ago on the podcast, she told me that they would advocate um, in those early days when they would try to ask the school to, to give me accommodations or whatnot, the school would deny them because they would they would say something like, oh, we can't, it would be, they, they thought special they, treatment. it would, yeah, like they said that it would be special treatment towards me. And so it's like completely, they're completely denying that I might have any kind of learning difference or disability and I I feel like that's just because like it makes them uncomfortable and that's another thought that came up for me um in terms of like when you were talking about how people wouldn't believe you know they wouldn't want to um believe that you're disabled like they they just wanted to you know call you um spastic or a troublemaker because um because it's because it's like it just shows like how uncomfortable they are around disability like it's literally all of this that that happens like the the deflecting of like acknowledging a disability uh like oh you know no you're just this you're just that uh mm -hmm. you're fine or whatever uh, and also, like, you know, you know, kind of forcing you in a way, end up forcing you to mask or whatnot comes to, from the discomfort. But then also what I found is, like, in my case, when I got, when I did get the diagnosis, and then because I did have a diagnosis, and for a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people would still question it, which is very frustrating and a classic microaggression that happens to a lot of us but um there were there would be people that some people would just be perplexed by the diagnosis and uh they would just like they would be so thrown off or whatever because i'm not like the typical idea the stereotypical idea of autism that they have in their head that they've been shown so they sometimes they'll just kind of freeze and then they'll just be like uh are you formally that what I remember this one time this person asked me if I was formally diagnosed or if I was self-diagnosed and I didn't even really understand the concept of like formal diagnosis and self-diagnosis back then um mm -hmm. and I said I was formally diagnosed because like that's what the truth was but it was like it shouldn't have even mattered it shouldn't even matter right. you know because it's like no one is is self-diagnosing for fun they're, they're self-diagnosing because it's the only option um right. and anyways it's like people would say that and then some people would say oh you're high functioning or you must right. be high functioning like and, thanks for letting me know yeah, what are you like, <laughs> a nosy yeah, little bit what are you like how do you you don't even know this is like a person that doesn't even that has never had a conversation with me and they're like calling me high functioning and then and then it just shows like i think it goes back to the same thing of like the the attitude of just denying 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 that i have uh, yeah. any support needs because they're uncomfortable same kind of concept 
they're deni- they're just making it oh well you're high functioning is there a way of saying like oh we don't perceive you as you know that disabled that like, disabled like <laughs> to them right um but also it's like a point of like why don't you prove it to me exactly like they and it's like i'm sorry <laughs> if i haven't proven it to you enough mm-hmm. if you haven't been paying attention that's not my problem yeah. Yeah. like it's not that mm-hmm. hard to pick up on not that i have yeah. to prove shit to you mm-hmm. um but i know it and that's all that matters yeah and also i was realizing there's like a fear of parents like maybe acknowledging or addressing that there might be something wrong like different with their mm-hmm. child yeah um, so I think maybe that's another reason why, like, parents might be like, well, you're high-functioning, yeah, well, you exactly. know, you are, you know, just, like, it's yeah. if even acknowledging mm-hmm. it, it's, like, to the lowest degree possible. Yeah, it's the same, it's that same kind of internalized ableism, I feel, um, because it's just in, uh, present in all of us. Like, I, I'm not even saying, and I think I try to emphasize, too, um, like, when I'm saying that, oh, this person has internalized ableism or so-and-so, like, we all have some internal... I'm not blame. I'm not saying this person is evil, but I'm saying that... And I think... I know you know that, but it's, like, you know, just for, for everyone else. Um, I am saying that they... Um, they have these very preconceived ideas around disability that are very um ableist uh because it's, and it is a spectrum too because yeah. like mm-hmm. maybe people who are uh you know associate others with autism it looks different than autism mm-hmm. on you yeah you know mm-hmm. so there's levels to the shit and yeah yeah exactly it's like it's also the the not being aware that um, autistic uh, autism looks different in different kinds of people, and and it's like, yeah, they just don't. <laughs> yeah, they they. And it doesn't have to look like anything, right? Like if you're autistic, yeah. it, mm-hmm. I think it should start being normalized. Like, okay, I believe you. I trust you. You know, if we're if we have a relationship of any kind, like, what are your needs? How, mm-hmm. how, how do, how do I know how to make you comfortable? How, how can you make me comfortable? It's, it's relationships go both ways and just kind of reaching deeper. I mean, if you don't believe me, then don't be in my life. Don't talk yeah. to me. Don't, don't mm-hmm. give me that negative energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is always still to this day, the, the questions from others asking, basically asking you to prove it in other words, um, just always asking mm-hmm. for, you know, Oh, what makes you this? How, like, give me an example instead of just, I trust you. Thank you for letting me know who you are. Now I can understand you better. Um, but it sounds like people yeah. just don't want to understand too. Yeah. And I think like also the reason that, um, you know, like them, like that, the reason they don't see me a lot of times, the reason that they don't see me like presenting traits of my disability is because I don't feel comfortable. Like, I feel like if I do present them, I'm going to be ostracized and judged and, and looked at weird and whatever. So then it's like, 
it's that whole, it's like a literally a loop. It's like, well, I can't present this way or I'm too weird or not trying hard enough or whatever. But then I can't say, I can't say, oh, but this is actually because I have a disability because then I'm quote too normal to them. Um, I have a weird question for you. Sure. What's something, what's maybe a STEM or a, um, autistic or ADHD behave, linked behavior mm-hmm. that you do, like when you're at home and safe and like that you would do outside if it were seen as okay? Mm. I think stimming, like openly stimming without mm-hmm. like suppressing it, because it's hard. Stimming is like, Stimming is such a nuanced thing because um, it can happen. You can be doing it without realizing it. and um, But I feel like I, I do still, I think just as an automatic trauma response, I do tend to repress my stims when I'm in public. Like I'll catch myself maybe like twiddling my fingers or, you know, playing with a pencil or something. Um, but it's more subtle and then when I'm at home I feel like I'm more like I have echolalia sometimes where uh I'll just like repeat certain words or phrases yes yes Um, and (laughs) yeah like because it'll almost sound like I'm like singing or something like yeah it's like a vibration yeah in your like head because that's where you talk Mm -hmm. and it's like something's vibrant I don't know that's the way I describe it I'm I'm stimming uh I'm like um I'm doing this other stim too sometimes where I I grab my chin and I like kind of because it's mostly that one I do when I get excited about something. I've noticed you. Yeah, I've noticed you grabbing your chin sometimes. You, oh. Yeah, you totally do that. That's a, that's a good one to point that. out. Cool. I've totally seen you doing that. Oh. I do that with my ear. I'll like play mm-hmm. with my ear. Yeah. But not when I'm excited. I do it when I'm like um, maybe socially anxious. Yeah. I think I, I, I have I some, like, social stuff. anxiety stims as well. Um, I think sometimes when I do stuff with my hands, like, if I'm talking to someone, I start, like, twiddling my hands or something. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I feel like I'm, when I'm, like, if I'm just alone at home, I'll be, like, I'll be doing echolalia. Um, yes. I'll be, I'll, sometimes my cat is a little freaked out. It's like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and and then uh, I'll be like grabbing my chin probably. And the chin thing is um, something that I think I used to do more in public when I was younger, but I got negative feedback. Um, I would always, it wasn't so much like negative, like outwardly negative feedback, but it was like being perceived as weird. Um, and like my sister particularly would be really weirded out by it. Um, not by her fault. Like now she understands it. It's just like, now she's learned a lot about stimming and she just totally understands it. Um, but at the time she was like, why are you grabbing your, your chin like that? Stop it. And then, um, like my mom and my dad, they would just get they would become kind of nervous because it's like they would like think that I was like there was something maybe like more like serious like 
that I was like having some kind of, maybe they thought I was having uh some kind of um like medical thing or that I was like uh-huh. in pain or something like that's just what I think they might have thought um because they kept I remember it was like they were concerned like they would just get very concerned when I would do it um and I think maybe because from the outside it can also look like I'm like getting really agitated or something but uh-huh. it's it's more just the hyperactivity of excitement and needing to, yeah. to relieve that hyperactivity. Um, but it's interesting because um, I was thinking about something else, which is like um, when I'm watching, and this is more related to like masking and not masking, but like, so if I'm coming more like, even if I'm like with family or friends or something, um and I'm watching a movie or something or I'm watching a TV show. So then I I become in a state, you know, when I get into it, then I'm like processing it. I, and this might vary, this might be more of like a a mix of autism and ADHD, but um I'll be like I maybe sometimes it might look like I have this kind of uh blank face or a poker face or something. Um, and it's like, then they'll think that I'm like, I don't like the show or something or that I'm upset. And it's like, I'm just processing. I'm just like, sometimes I'm really enjoying it and I'm, I'm involved and I'm like, oh, I want to, I'm like taking Uh this in, I'm processing this. And then someone will be like, oh, are you okay? Or this or that. And then I'm like, and then I really, I might look like I'm not okay because then I'm like, okay, wait, I'm processing this. And now I'm having to take in what you're saying. So yeah, it's and like, like calm you down. <laughs> yeah, and calm you down. Exactly. I have like two <laughs> tasks now. Um, yeah, yeah, tasks. So, um, yeah. yeah. So then that's what, and because and I read about that, it was like online on the, uh, from another autistic person on social media about, you know, they made a little post about like, oh, poker face while watching shows or something. Um, and like how it gets perceived and I'm like, Oh my God, like that's something that I hadn't thought about before, but I hadn't realized like that it happens to me, but I'm like, yes, that totally happens to me. Um, has that happened? Has like anything like that happened to you? Um, like processing like, wise? Yeah. Like people just misreading, like you're processing something and then they think <laughs> that you're having a different emotion. Um, I'd say I'm very expressive and usually I'm over the top with my emotions. Like, so I think that more so I I think I've overwhelmed people with my emotions Mm because I kind of react before I process. Uh, Although like not so much with anger or like sad, um, emotions because I had to like work really hard to to process first and then react Mm -hmm. because the initial reaction, it hits me, but then I I do a lot of work to understand what it is before expressing it. But with things like excitement and, um, you know, even, even, you know, like challenges, like I'm pretty expressive. However, I, (laughs) I'm laughing because like when I'm focused and especially when I'm like at a new job and learning a bunch of things and like really anxious about like doing things right and getting things done, I look 
really concerned. Like I focus my eyes really hard and I like look, I literally look like this. I, I know the viewer, mm-hmm. the listeners can't see, but I'm like, I literally have like a disgusted face on mm-hmm. like the entire time. I'm like, my mouth is kind of open. My eyes are squinted. I look like mm-hmm. I'm judging my computer. <laughs> Um, and I've had, you know, my bosses walk by and be like, everything okay? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just reading. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, back to my crazy Mm -hmm. phase. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think there are times, oh, well, also when I zone out, I also Mm -hmm. think it's kind of obvious and I get really embarrassed about zoning out, especially when someone's talking to me. Cause they're like, are you listening? And I'm like, I mean, before I used to lie, I'd be like, yeah, you said blah, 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 I think. And then I'd always be wrong, but I'm just like, I'm sorry. I, I totally zoned out. It's not because you're boring mm-hmm. me. It's just because I had a lot of things to think about mm-hmm. that are stressing me out. Yeah. And I'm sorry that like, I, I have shame and like not being mm-hmm. present sometimes when it's yeah. really important. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, that's still a thing for me sometimes. And I think it also comes from the trauma of being misunderstood uh, and feeling like if we, allow like throughout life you know if if we allow ourselves to unmask during these situations or if we don't mask or like put on this poker face or like look like try so hard uh to pay attention and to look like we're we we're there when we're not when it's like there's our brain is so hyperactive and we're we're drawn we're being drawn by so many things um and that's another ADHD trait that I came to to read about later that I didn't even realize that it was like this is what was going on with me so many times, but but that's what's happening. And then there's also like this um people have this misconception because like even though ADHD is talked about, I feel like it's talked about more than autism, there's still a lot of misconception around it. Um and I think people think that a lot of people think that folks with ADHD like like that they just um, they think that we don't want to pay attention or that we're like shoot, but it's not right. that we it's don't. It's not a choice. It's not a choice. It's not that we don't want to. It's that. And it's not that we we can't sometimes, but it's just the regulation. It's the, yeah. Um, and sometimes people don't believe like when you're like, this is not going to be, this is not going to hold my attention. I know already. They're like, well, why don't you just try? And I'm like, okay, I'll try. But like, the, and they get upset because they're like, you're not trying. And I was like, I, I can't even try because this is like really hard mm-hmm. for me. Like sometimes I don't yeah. even want to try because it's just too out there for me. Mm-hmm. And it would require me to mask. And I don't exactly. feel like masking anymore. Exactly. It requires so much mental energy. And sometimes yeah, it's just... Like, yeah. Respect it. Mm-hmm. Respect I when know. I say I can't. You can do it. I'll just mm-hmm. do my own thing. Like, sometimes when my partner wants to watch something, we literally almost never agree on what to watch, which is can be a struggle. So sometimes he'll watch his stuff and I'll, like, color or, like, mm-hmm. do some stuff online. Um and barely pay attention. Like, I, it's really hard for me to pay attention to stuff that I just cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, like, I'll go to, I'll go with him to, like, sports games, too. Like, mm-hmm. football, baseball, whatever. Basketball. And I'll be present with him. Like, I'll be sitting next to him. I'll be excited for him. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll, like, zone into the game and I'll be, like, cheering hard. And sometimes I cheer for 
the other team because I just get excited. Someone made a point mm-hmm. and I get confused. Yeah. Um, and he's like, please stop. <laughs> That's reasonable, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I. it's not that I choose. It's just that it's I'm just, present when I'm present yeah. and I try extra hard when there's someone mm-hmm. in front of me that's saying something really important to them and I care about them. Yeah. I can't promise to be perfect, Yeah, but yeah. I try extra hard when there's something mm-hmm. serious in front of me. Um, but for the most part, there's no reason for me to step out of my comfort zone and hurt my brain more than it already hurts yeah. by masking and just trying for someone for no reason, just because they want me to try exactly. for no other reason than that. And that's just, another reason that like i don't know what they're trying to make me prove but it's bullshit and it hurts me yeah emotionally I mean, it, mentally and spiritually it is a very hurtful thing to do like to force a disabled person to you know ignore their their disability or basically it feels like they're like as if i were in a if i were in a wheelchair and they're making me like walk up a set of stairs yeah right they're like get up we can hold you if you oh we can hold you you know i'm like no yeah i physically can't i literally can't in this case i mentally can't and this is why like neuro distinct friends relationships are important to me because there's an unspoken understanding and there's also a spoken understanding because disabled people need to communicate a lot um, because their needs aren't obvious mm-hmm. and everything's very particular and complex. Yeah. And I used to be very shy and embarrassed and shameful about like my needs and not even know what they were because I had to push them down so far. But once I started, I'm like, I was overwhelmed. I'm like, I have so many needs and I have so many limitations and um, I can push through them because I have my whole life and I know I can, but um, it hurts me. It's done a lot of psychological and physical damage Um, You know, a lot of people develop chronic pain from just not allowing themselves to 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 function in the ways that are right for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it, you know, you know, people, I think a lot of people with autism and ADHD have us maybe not a lot. I don't know. But a lot that I know um, have a really special, unique gift of Mm self-awareness. Yeah. Um, And so that self-awareness can can be a detriment because you are aware of how society perceives you and you try to literally physically make yourself smaller or, or, um, louder or like louder, softer, whatever Mm -hmm. you need to be. Cause for me it's softer, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, be more of a lady. No, fuck you. I'm this kind of lady. And I choose to be, well, I am this lady. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. that I choose to be, but I choose to be myself. And that's what I choose. Um, so yeah, it, it can it can really promote a lot of damage to your health. Like I've experienced it. I have chronic pain in my back and like my pretty much my entire body from just like trying to shift and be what society wants me to be physically and mentally and uh, no more of that because now I have to undo all of it. And it takes a lot of work and it's very painful. Yeah, it is very, very painful. Like it, it is such a long term thing. Like masking i don't think people understand it's so nuanced it's it's more than just like scripting conversations or like forcing eye contact it's like a whole thing that you do your whole life yeah and it becomes so ingrained and that's what what i um when i say a, a it's a trauma response it what i mean is it like 
it it's not like because I think a lot of neurotypicals like even if they hear of masking like they think it's just like a switch or you know sometimes you might like they might think it's like a switch you can just turn on and off but it's it's like no we're so used to like we feel because like we've we've we feel like we've always had to do that at least for me like it's it had my brain doesn't automatically because my brain doesn't my brain has been conditioned throughout my life as i'm sure in the same case with you to not feel like i'll be welcomed as my true self like to not show my yeah. my true self Hopefully. Um, so then it's not like, even if I'm in a, a group of people where I know and trust, even with them, it's, it's hard for me to like completely unmask because, because it's just yeah. automatic. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel the same way. Um, yeah, that's all yeah. I can say right now. Um, so I think the next thing. I wanted to talk a little bit about is, and I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but this is something that um, I, I've i had before and I've been reading about more and it's called alexithymia, which is the struggle to interpret and express what I'm feeling. And that, I feel like it affects me um, when people think, I mean, I guess we, we might've talked a little bit about this already, but the whole thing, about like me simply being upset or no me assuming like them assuming I'm upset but like I'm just processing something or like I don't actually know what I'm feeling in the moment and yeah um this might like this came up for me particularly during our training because uh, our acting training because there is this one part of the training as you know moment to moment work um where it is a lot about reacting to the moment to what the other person to like what you're perceiving off of your partner in that moment and um i did struggle with this a lot many times because i do have to process things i'm like i don't know like they'll do something or they'll say something and our teacher wants us to like react right away and process it right away and sometimes I just, I don't know what to say yet. Um, but I, it's like, I'm so, and this was like, it was, it was hard for me, especially early on because I was, um, uh, still masking a lot and, um, you know, without, without even knowing that I was doing it, but I was more heady as an individual because I felt like I had to mask and I felt like I couldn't just say what I was feeling in that very moment I couldn't just because like in, in normal life we never feel like we we can just be like you're confusing me I don't know what to say um it's like always like I feel like I have to kind of stall and process and then oh wait what did you say again I'm sorry can you explain that or whatever um or in the moment to moment I would say like I don't know what to say but I feel like sometimes even for me to get there it would it would take a while and then it became and it it's not that it's like now it's like always like that and um but i feel like eventually i just started becoming more confident and that's the unmasking part which was good 
which I was just right. more confident and like, I don't know what to say. Like, uh, are you confusing me in this or not? Um, but it is tricky because like, I think that was, and I wish I understood more about that when we were going through the training. Um, cause it is like sometimes even just to pro even to say, I don't know what to say. Like there might be yeah. a little bit more of a delay. Um, so yeah, I wanted to ask if you, and not necessarily just related to the acting training, but if you've experienced like alexithymia or just like not being able to, to, to interpret like what you're feeling in the moment and, um, how that's yeah. affected you. Yeah. So again, I laugh because it's very relatable, but I'm on the other side of what you're saying. Um, as I mentioned um, just a couple of minutes ago, I react before I process, mm -hmm. um, which is both good and really hard for me mentally because I try to not regret what I say and how I react. But for the training specifically, I would like, I would point out the behavior before the behavior was done and I'd be accurate because I'm just like, I, mm -hmm. it just felt like I was too quick and I think I'd overwhelm my partner but you know for the training it was like really good apparently and that was one way I could really channel like the chaos in my head and like I I'm super aware of what's going on in front of me but I'm also thinking of a million things so I can like stay present and stay urgent with my activity um and so I think that was very beneficial to me um but in general I I think I process kind of similarly to you I just react first which really makes me overthink a lot and I know I know you probably overthink too it's like very common with autistic yeah. and ADHD individuals and OCD um, especially OCD mm -hmm. um and I overthink a lot you overthink a lot but um you over you probably overthink like should I have said this oh I have an idea yeah. for what I could have said and for me it's like why the fuck did I open my mouth? Why the fuck did I mention this? Why did I bring this up? Did I make a fool out of myself? Should I have said this? You Sometimes know? So it's I have similar. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's similar and, yeah. and it's also the same and it's also different. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, if like everything could be that quick and I could react to everything, I think life would be a little bit easier for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but still overwhelming and stressful because I'd have to reflect after and process yeah. only after, like, I think I process, probably the same amount of time and it can be very long. It could take like a whole day of processing, 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 and like then processing the emotions after like understanding like how I felt about a certain experience. Then like the emotion part is really hard to let go. Like it causes a lot of anxiety. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, in my romantic relationship, I had to learn really seriously and very hard in therapy to sit with my feelings before reacting and sometimes just being able to calmly identify and be like I'm really disappointed and I'm processing right now how I actually feel and what I actually want to say and why I'm actually upset because mm -hmm. sometimes my initial emotion it fades and I've had many regrets in the past from reacting too harshly mm -hmm. or um, just really emotionally, I'm a very emotional person, both when things are good and when things are not so great. I, I'm a, I'm a crier. 
Um, so when things are so beautiful, I just like tear up a lot and, and sometimes even sob. And when things are tough, um, recently, I think I just, the therapy work I've been getting better at, like, you know, I I can let it out, but it's more of a cleanse. Um, and just like changing a lot of things in my life that were, um, really not serving me has made me less susceptible to meltdowns I feel like Mm -hmm. because I just kind of keep to myself and you know when things go wrong I I have more tools but um I digress as always (laughs) um processing how I feel does not come across because it sounds like when you talk to me that I have a lot of things together and sometimes I do sometimes I do sometimes I know exactly how I feel but I speak too soon without processing Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and sometimes the way I react is correct to how I'm actually feeling after reflecting. But a lot of times I react first and then I'm like, shit. That makes sense. Yeah. I can relate to that. Um, and I think that's a little bit for me where like the autism and the ADHD fight each other a little bit. Because um, I have that ADHD part that's like, sometimes I just want to react and, and say something right away. And I, I'm like, almost like speaking over the other person um because I, I don't like they they barely finish because like I, I have this thought and it's here and I want to say it but then I also have sometimes the autism side which is more like I get like I'm still processing or I'm like oh should I should I say that it like starts thinking about it sometimes before it comes out and then it's fighting with the the urge for it to come out um but then i think sometimes because of the moments where the adhd wins and it does come out mm-hmm. um i i get self-conscious about it later and then right. the whole autism processing thing and then yeah. it c- kicks in and then it causes me to mask sometimes that like the memory of oh my gosh when I said that thing all of a sudden oh and e- even if the other person was not upset or annoyed by it I might right. be like so self-conscious it might be yes. eight hours later I'm at home trying to fall asleep yes. and I'm like but but did I say that too fast that I come across weird and then yes. maybe the next interaction I have with that person or with someone similar to them um I I'm all ma- all ma- I'll, I'll feel like I'm masking more. I'm like more nervous about it because of like oh was I too involved? the previous interaction yeah. yeah um yeah yeah um so yeah I think it was uh, it's interesting that that you you were talking a little bit about meltdowns because that's uh the next thing I wanted to um talk about and and for me I feel like it's one of the the most misunderstood things uh, about the neurodivergent ADHD autism experience um, that people don't seem to understand. Um, it gets misunderstood a lot uh, because they don't understand that the meltdowns are, like you said, intense reactions to overwhelming uh, intense emotional or sensory input um, and 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 during the moment uh, and so I can have both because then I, I have like the emotional stuff uh, and the hyperactivity 
uh, with the ADHD, but then I also have the sensory stuff with the autism. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it all kind of blends together as well. Um, so then to me, for me, it can be emotional, it can be sensory, or it can even be both. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, and then, so there's nothing that I can do to like fix it. It's like in the moment, like they don't understand. They think it's like in the moment that I can like, that I have a choice that I can like fix or correct them. Um, and, and it's like, I can do my best to come up with strategies that can help prevent them. Um, and, but that's before the, the trigger point and that's not always possible. And so then, so in a lot of cases, the best I can do is just like learn from it afterwards. Um, and, and so a lot of people don't understand that. And it annoys me like it, that it's not like, I don't know. Usually I can get them to understand it, but like, it annoys me that they don't get it right away that they're like it's not it's like literally like they're asking me to change how my brain works but right yeah and then even it's frustrating because like even people that know that I'm autistic even people that like I explain these things to them it's like it feels like they never really fully understand it um so yeah, I wanted to ask, uh, like, what your experiences have been around getting misunderstood, uh, misunderstood in terms of, like, if you remember anything specific or just in general, even, I, even though you, I know you might have talked a little bit about this already, uh, in terms of, like, your experiences getting misunderstood around meltdowns and what your preferred ways of being supported during and after an ADHD meltdown are? Yeah, I grew up calling them temper tantrums mm. um, because I guess that's that's the way other people would look at it and that's the way I would see myself. Mm. Um, but I struggled heavily with meltdowns, heavily. And it makes me sad now because it's like such a painful process, not just for you, but everybody around you in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little sister who's 10 years younger growing up and obviously she's still 10 years younger. Um, but she's, she just turned 18. So, um, but like a lot of her childhood with me in it, um, you know, I still feel kind of bad because she was the kid and, you know, kids are the ones that are supposed to have temper tantrums, but she never did never once. And I think it was also because she like saw how much I struggled and I, I have a lot of guilt um, about it too. I'm just like, you know, I feel like she didn't really get to be a child because I had so many struggles and needs and challenges and my parents would make it worse because they're very Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. Um, They're refugees from Ukraine um, and they immigrated in the nineties or late eighties. Um, And so, you know, you're not sick. You don't have anything wrong with you unless you are like admitted into a psych ward. And my, um, my great aunt has been in a psych ward my whole life in Ukraine. So, and I've met her and I, I've always thought, you know, you know, maybe I'm capable of this because like, maybe that'll show that, you know, like, it's not that I wanted that for myself. I'd always be worried that it would progress into something more 
because of the strain it has on your brain, on your heart, on your nerves. And I think I really, really, really fucked up my system by not getting enough support and not getting Mm. the right support because I think when I would have these temper tantrums, like sometimes my mom would handle them in a way where it's like, okay, I did what I could. She's not getting better. Like, I'm just going to walk away. So she'd like continue on with her plans. And like, Mm. to me, it felt very abandoning. Um, and you know, back then I could have never known what I needed because it was just so severe. And I was like, nothing's going to help in this moment. But looking back at it, maybe it would have because maybe they just didn't know at all how to approach it. Um, but also I think I just more than anything needed therapy because like I had total emotional dysregulation, total, total, total since, you know, I, my parents got divorced at a young age and I, maybe things started back then. I'm not really sure. Um, but there was just a lot going on. And, um, I guess the way I wish uh, therapy, number one, that's the number one thing, because even if the right help is there, I, I could not accept it because emotional dysregulation was so severe. Um, but you know, with therapy, if I had that in the past and the compassion and understanding and like sensitivity that I needed for my family, if that was all combined, then I think I would have had a much better chance at, um, maybe not developing certain, you know, chronic illnesses and like, um, just a lot of trauma from, from having these meltdowns. Cause it is, I don't know about you, but like I said, in the beginning of, of this little segment, like I, I think there's so much shame and guilt Mm -hmm. after those meltdowns because you have to process that. And, yeah. you know, for us, processing is like a whole, like, week's worth, possibly. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's extremely painful. Mm-hmm. You want to hide. It's very isolating. Yeah. It's like, and, you know, having so many of those, you just start to question your worth. You yeah. start to, like, have really bad thoughts. You're mm-hmm. like, maybe better off if I'm not around having, because I can't control it. And yeah. no, one's, no one's, like, helping me. And no one's acknowledging how painful this is. And some people, most of the times, I'm just you know because I don't come down they just go up Mm -hmm. and leave for the rest of the day go on with their plans Mm -hmm. that I refuse to go to because I'm in such a bad state and so it's a very painful experience for anybody that deals with meltdowns it's important to not judge them it's important to to ask a lot what do you need to Mm -hmm. sometimes it's really nice to be held Mm -hmm. and in a very nurturing way like not you know it's the needs are specific Um, and they're not just generalized. Mm-hmm. And I think just coming from a place of curiosity and understanding and wondering, you know, cause there were a lot of triggers that I didn't realize. That's, I think a lot of the times why you have meltdowns, right? It's yeah. not, it's not just out of the blue. Um, I think out of the blue comes all kinds of different mm-hmm. things for no distinct people, but like for it to escalate to a meltdown is because a lot of things are going wrong in the process. Yeah. I think. I really like, I resonated a lot with everything you were saying, but especially the part about coming down from a meltdown and how exhausting and draining that, how absolutely drained we are usually at that stage after meltdowns and how people don't understand that um, it's not like a tantrum because it's not like we had this episode like we had this reaction and then we're done 
and then we're like back to normal. But we are we are absolutely and at least for me after a meltdown I usually like I'll be in bed for the whole day so depressed yeah. so depressed yeah yeah and, and mm-hmm. sometimes for weeks until mm-hmm. it's resolved and sometimes when yeah. your parents don't want or you know people around you aren't able to resolve it it sticks with you on yeah. and it, it hurts you so much yeah. It deteriorates. It deteriorates. Exactly. Well, I can't pronounce that. Deteriorates you. <laughs> That's what people don't understand because then they get upset. That's what I hate about like when they when they try to like, um, like, are you like discipline me or reprimand me like after a meltdown? It's like as if, and then they're saying like, oh, you know, because the chaos that I caused for them or how I made, it's like always about like how I made them uncomfortable. And they're just, that makes me even more upset because they're, they're making zero, they're having zero acknowledgement of how I felt, why I had the meltdown in the first place and how I feel like they think I'm just fine. They think like, Oh my God, because I've had that happen where people like literally blame me and just go off about how much of an inconvenience to their day I was without even bothering. Like literally some people will say that without even bothering to ask if I'm all right to ask what happened like am i feeling better do i how can i help you Um, yeah and yeah i think that um like going into my adulthood i had this serious pervasive fear of scaring people um because I think my family would play it off like, oh, you didn't scare me, honey. But no, you acted like I did. And I know I scared me. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Yeah. It's a, a really intense, scary I, feeling because you feel mm-hmm. all these emotions. You, yeah. you go through many mm-hmm. bad emotions at once yeah. and many bad thoughts. And then it just spirals from there. Yeah. And it is a spiral. Exactly. A meltdown, yeah. I feel like because the meltdown mm-hmm. can get worse and worse and worse if it's not paid attention not to paid atten- and if it's ignored and then a lot of times well, if it's ignored you're you're getting traumatized so important for people to understand do not ignore your child or your adults or your friends or family or partner or whatever do not ignore autistic meltdowns do not reprimand because this just happens way too much do not argue or, or reprimand the person until they are feeling safe until Mm -hmm. they are feeling calmer until they're able to calmly express until they're ready and able to express how they felt and how they're feeling and why they had the meltdown and then it's like people don't understand it's a process like once this all happens then it can be talked about and then when we're like when i'm in a state where i'm a lot more grounded and I've been acknowledged and validated and supported, then I can actually very rationally, very clearly break down everything that happened and then kind of learn from those experiences. But it can't happen right away. And um, there are way too many people that 
expect it to happen right away and it just makes it worse. It just makes it worse because it's like my needs aren't being met and then my needs are continuing to not be met and they're being gaslit and I'm being blamed and yelled at for having these feelings and emotions. So, um, and it's, I know that many times it's like people don't, they don't want necessarily me to feel blamed and yelled at and, um, but it's just like, that's how I feel because they're not understanding the whole concept of, of the meltdown. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a time to be very sensitive. Exactly. Um, that's, that's the greatest time to, to put on your mm-hmm. uh, compassionate cap and be yeah. present. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, I will say maybe a controversial um, thing mm-hmm. just because... I have a lot of guilt surrounding it um, because I do believe it can be a very painful and draining experience for the person helping too. Mm -hmm. Um, As somebody who's helped other people and and maybe it's because I'm also neurodistinct. So it takes a lot for me to help other people sometimes, Um, but it can be very draining um, Mm -hmm. to have your loved ones watch you and try to help you and, 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 and see how much pain you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and not know how to help because sometimes, yeah. sometimes you yourself don't know what, I think, what you need yeah, in the moment. It's true. I think it's, that's why I think awareness and education is so important, um, in terms of like understanding what the meltdowns are and, and like what's going on with the person at the time. And I, cause I can totally understand, like, of course, like from the other side, like if, if I'm seeing someone that I care about have a meltdown, it is going to make me very nervous and it is going to make me very stressed. And I can see myself kind of panicking if I don't know how to help them. Um, and, and it's also like every neurodistinct person has their own preferred, they might have their own preferred unique ways of how they like to be supported in these situations Uh and so I think it also speaks to um not just like education about meltdowns in general but I think it's like making it so your neurodistinct friend or family member I think just like opening um making it so that they feel comfortable having a conversation with you about it like before now I'm starting to realize that like if I if I'm good friends with someone and like I've decided to reveal to them that I'm autistic and kind of have a conversation about what all of that means one of the first things I will include now is so this is how this is like how meltdowns look for me and how I experience them and this is how I personally like to be supported after a meltdown because i think if i give them that information ahead of time it 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 can help it can be a lot um it can be very helpful for them as well in terms of like not um doing something that's going to make me feel worse even if they're not intending to yeah yeah and i think just like I don't, I don't want to ask too much from people. Cause again, I think it's, it's draining and hard for other mm-hmm. people to support you during yeah. those times. Cause it, it can be loud. It can mm-hmm. be 
yeah. uh, painful to watch. Mm-hmm. It can be confusing. It can be mm-hmm. hard on you. Yeah. Um, and scary. It can be scary. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Like, yeah, it I've can had, be. And I think I, I have mm-hmm. meltdowns that have really scared my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and myself. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Um, but I think just like maybe definitely making the person feel safe, whatever mm-hmm. that means. And, and sometimes it's asking the right questions. Yeah. And just being curious with sensitivity, you know, like exactly. I love. I love. Do you know mm-hmm. what what happened? Do you know what triggered it? Um, yeah. I'm here for you. Like maybe yeah. if you need time, I'll mm-hmm. I'll just sit here with you. A yes. lot of my friends mm-hmm. who have needs like that, um, and meltdowns or panic, even they don't have to be a full on meltdown. Like I panic mm-hmm. a lot more than I have meltdowns now, mm-hmm. um, and. I really just need to be reminded to breathe and I need to be told that it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's pretty simple. It's like simple. I think it being really told is. that it's going to be okay really mm-hmm. helps. It does. It does. It really does because yeah. I think that's what meltdowns surround, like mm-hmm. panic specifically. It's like, mm-hmm. you feel like nothing's okay. Yeah. You feel like everything's like you fucked up and you can't make it up and, and like it can spiral into a meltdown. Yeah. Um, but I think if, if people like know the signs and mm-hmm. like see when you begin to struggle, like it can be stopped. It can mm-hmm. be helped. Yeah. And it can be minimized. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just asking questions calmly, like being as in tune as possible. I, I know it's a lot to ask because some people just can't, can't fully um, be in yeah. tune and, and ask the right questions, but sometimes mm-hmm. just sitting in silence and, and just, I have a friend that has a lot of meltdowns sometimes. And sometimes I just, when they're going through something, I ask them, do you want to just talk? Do you want me to sit and listen? I'll be present for you. I'll, I'll do whatever you need. Or do you, do you want me to talk to you? What do you need? Basically like asking what you need is super important. And I think that makes a person feel very safe. Yeah. And, and sometimes Mm -hmm. I just tell them like when I'm going through a panic, I, I tell them to tell me that everything's, going to be okay and like maybe describe how it's going to be okay and like maybe help me envision an okay world <laughs> where this yeah. outcome is not as bad as i think it's gonna be yeah exactly yeah for sure like that is what i really appreciate like i know the people that truly understand me like that's the the reaction they're gonna have now it's like they're going to make sure that i'm all right um Instead of, you know, jumping to uh, what were you thinking or why did you do this or you should explain or send me a report of uh, everything that happened. And I'm like, do I look like I have the executive functioning and mental energy right now to to do that? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. um, And it's just, it's such a difference. It's like, because it's so nice and warming. It's like, yeah. To read those messages, like, it, when pe- people just, like, reaching out, like, concerned, like, oh, are you okay? Like, yeah. um, hi, can I help in any way? Or yeah. I hope you're feeling better. Because yeah. it's very non-judgmental because the person is acknowledging, like, mm-hmm. you had an they're intense... They're seeing you. They're seeing you. They're being seen yeah. in a... Mm-hmm. In a brain and in a body and in a world that can feel so lonely yeah. because it's so different mm-hmm. uh, so just to feel seen and to feel acknowledged and to feel 
understood. Understood. It's mm-hmm. such a gift. It is so rare. And I don't, I personally don't want to be understood by everyone anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I stopped. I'm like, the smaller the circle, the better, because quality over quantity at this point. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I can wait years and years for a really good friend. And that's all that matters. And I just need there to be a lot of sensitivity, understanding, compassion, and fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. fun is so important mm-hmm. to me. Like, yeah, if I do true. not have fun with yeah. friends, mm-hmm. potentially, like, it doesn't have to be all the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, most of the time, I feel like that's what friends are for. Fun, oh, yeah. comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being excited to see someone is an important part of a friendship, too. Yeah. You know, um... Cause you don't want to feel like it's another chore. You don't like, so that's why I'm like very happy to keep my small circle, maybe even keeping it smaller and mm-hmm. just not necessarily taking people out of my life, but making time for people that yeah. really are good for me and mm-hmm. um, make me feel safe. Yeah. And fun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think it is like, you know, like you said, quality over quantity is very important. And I've been understanding that more and more now uh, and it just resonates with me and makes sense because like mm-hmm. I feel like throughout life it was always about oh you know you have the standard of like popularity or uh, whatever it was like having a lot of friends but then yeah, you no. look at like people who are perceived as popular and it's like they have all these so-called friends but then yeah. like you it's very few of those friends are like still actually friends after a while. And, Absolutely. and it's like better. It's like, what's, there's no point to me now. in like having superficial friendships that don't last, that there's no real deep connection. Um, Cause then it's like, I'd way rather have like two or three really good friends. And instead of like, five or ten friends but most of them i don't know how much i can really count on um so 100 percent. yeah uh well um this was another fantastic episode um i'm really happy that uh you were able to come on for this again and i hope uh we can do another one in the future um faina and i we've we've talked before and we uh we both decided that we we like the idea of doing like one monthly episode because um, we always have a lot to talk about um, and a lot that we relate to with each other and just um, very good uh, are able to come out with very good conversations from from it all and um, so. Uh, uh, once again, uh, I I hope you all enjoy this episode. Please uh, check out our film. Uh, I'll be it'll be linked below, um, and uh, I hope you enjoy that as well. Um, so uh, once again, thank you once again, Faina, for for coming on. Thanks, George. Um, <laughs> my pleasure. And uh, everyone, you you guys all know now after a hundred episodes that I'm I'm very awkward with goodbyes. So uh, without further further ado, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.